0: Have you ever found that with your own spiritual gifts, the label reads, some assembly required, like the toys you used to get at Christmas? We're told that we are spiritually gifted people, but is there an instruction manual? Hi, and welcome to Magnify. We are a podcast that helps keep general conference top of mind without adding to your to-do list. I'm your host, Katherine Davis, a mom, a seminary teacher, and a big football fan who loves God. And I am so excited to learn and be inspired with you. We know life is busy, and we are here to lighten the load by bringing you weekly spiritual reminders that will leave you feeling a little bit better than before. Maria Eckersley is here to share her three spiritual reminders that spoke to her from Elder Stevenson's address, Promptings of the Spirit. Well, Maria, welcome back, my friend. I'm so excited you're here. (laughs) It's good to be here. Okay, one question for you. What would you title this week if you were writing
1: the book of your life? (laughs) Oh, that's going to take some thought. I don't know how to capture the 3,700 things I juggled this week. Maybe it would be a book about juggling. (laughs) (laughs) So like a mom's pro tips to juggling a lot of things and coming out with a A decent average. I don't think I'm hitting anything out of the park right now, Catherine, but I feel like that's kind of all of us. So I'm making it.
0: Sometimes we just need C's. (laughs) C's get degrees, Maria. (laughs) (laughs) Thank
1: goodness for that.
0: (laughs) I say the same thing about motherhood. Uh, That was a C, but yeah, hopefully it was enough. How about you? Oh, (laughs) I don't. I don't even know. I would probably say peace that doesn't make sense. Hmm, I love that. I'd buy that book. (laughs) Because that's what I felt this week is peace that doesn't make sense. Beautiful. So Maria, how
1: did you feel prepping for this episode? You know, I actually loved prepping for this episode because I have to tell you to be like totally honest. The first time I heard Elder Stevenson's talk, like I liked it. It was a good talk. And then I went right on to the other talks and I really wasn't one that I would have like, dog-eared as, Ooh, I've got to go back. And it wasn't until I actually started diving into his writing that I was like, well, there are things here that I'd actually never thought of before. And I've studied spiritual gifts and I've thought about spiritual gifts. And I've certainly spent a lot of my life thinking about how to get more revelation. And there were things in his talk that I was like, Oh my word, how, how have I not heard that before? So I I loved that piece of it. It was like unearthing something that was there, but not right on the surface. I liked it.
0: Which always reminds me that we need to spend a little time digging in and putting an effort
1: into every talk. Yeah, I think so. Especially the ones you think, oh, I'm not sure I needed that one. (laughs) I think you're always wrong. That's (laughs) what I've learned. You know, I think there are things you need in the moment and there are things you need long-term. So I think we need them all.
0: Well, I even thought that about President Nelson's address last time in April. I'm like, oh, that was a nice talk. That was great. (laughs) Now I'm living by that. Yeah, true. True. Okay, well, I'm excited to talk about the three things that stood out to you as you prepared and studied this talk. And your first reminder is we are all spiritually gifted people. Can you tell me more about that? I don't know why this
1: caught me off guard, Catherine, but... I was telling my husband, like, I think I've got some baggage on this one because I, in fourth grade, Catherine, I got tested to be in the gifted program. It was one of those things where like oh. they pull you into a separate room and they, you do a puzzle with this stranger and whatever, right? I didn't make the gifted. Program. So for years I was like, oh my gosh, I am not a gifted person. I saw all my friends go to their special classes and I was like, it's fine. I'm, I'm great. I'm just not gifted. Because I always thought of gifted as like, you're born with this and it's very obvious to other people and you can't really make it happen. It's just part of your DNA or it's not. And what I loved about Elder Stephens' talk is that he seemed to focus on the fact that every one of us as a covenant making and keeping daughter of God or just a child of God is blessed with gifts. So I started to picture things a little differently. Did you remember that part where he talked about that some of the gifts need to be assembled? Do you remember that? Catherine? Yes. That was one of those aha moments for me. Yeah, me too. I just, I started to picture like the Lego sets that my kids get at Christmas time. I don't know if your kids are into Legos, but my boys love Legos. Like it's joyful to to them to have this giant thing to assemble and put together. And I started to think about spiritual gifts more like that. Not something that I get automatically or that is very obvious from birth, but something that like is available to me if I will take the time to assemble it and put it together. And that to me was empowering. I just felt like, Oh wait, maybe there's gifts all over the place. You know, like (laughs) the visual that came to my mind. So in December, We have three family birthdays, just in my little family and Christmas. And my birthday is one of those. And so December, like we constantly get packages from Amazon because that's where I order everything. And I sometimes will have packages like stacked up outside my doorstep. And I just, you know, you get the delivery notification, but you know, maybe you don't go outside immediately to grab it or you, you don't get around to it. And I started to think about like, there are some times when I don't even open the box, you're like, I'm in such a rush or I'm so busy that I don't even look inside. And I think that's, kind of what I have with spiritual gifts. I I started to picture like, what if there's this stack of spiritual gifts that he is prepared to make my life easier and happier, just like Amazon things are, but I haven't taken the time to open it or assemble it, or it looks too complicated. So I set it aside and think maybe some other time I'll have time for that. And I think I'm missing out. So I, I felt like Elder Stevenson was inviting me to open, you're like open and try to put things together and acquire the gifts that he has just sitting, waiting for you.
0: Well, I think that's such a valuable image to keep in our minds, because I know with you, I've always had anxiety when people have talked about gifts and spiritual (laughs) gifts, because I've always associated it with talents and I have none. I would always angry. say, like a talent show. Oh, we're going to have a talent show in Young Women's. Right. I'm like, well, I'm out. Like, what am I going right. to do? I don't play the <laughs> piano. I don't sing. I don't dance. And all my friends did. So I always, always thought, I'm not talented. I don't have a talent. I don't have a gift. And I grew up for so long thinking that. And I love this idea that maybe some of our gifts aren't as visible and they need an, a, a little
1: assembly. What's a gift, Maria, that you've had to assemble? Okay. So let me give you a really interesting example. So my son, Jack, he's, he's 20 now, but when he was four, he was diagnosed with autism and I struggled because one at the time, autism wasn't super familiar to anybody. And I was sort of scrambling And honestly, I had three kids under four and I was like, how, how will I figure this out? And one of the things that was really tricky with Jack is he could speak. He just really couldn't communicate very well. It was almost like he had memorized phrases from movies that he would use. Almost like if you've ever seen a tourist try to talk and they don't really know the language, but they've memorized certain phrases. That's what Jack was like when he was little. And I struggled to be able to teach him to be able to help him. I just couldn't figure it out. And one of the promptings that came to me was so interesting. I was kind of at my wits end. Jason was consulting and traveling all the time and I was sort of on my own and I didn't know how to help Jack. And I got this idea in my mind that I knew he loved Blue's Clues. It was this show that was on when he was little. And so I thought, what if I put paw prints on things? That was part of the show that he would put these paw prints on things and they were clues. I don't know where that thought came from, Catherine, but when I started to put, you know, put little blue paw on things around the house. And if I put a paw print on it, he could speak to me. Like he would talk about the thing that the paw print was on it. Like things cracked open. And I found myself, I, what I realized is I'd been praying all that time for the blessing to be able to understand Jack. I, I was, I kept asking for blessings. Like help me understand Jack. Help me see Jack. Help me communicate better with Jack. What I think God wanted to give me was a gift. He wanted to give me something that would last well beyond when Jack was four. He wanted to give me a way to communicate with Jack that would hold us. So he opened up this idea, but I had to assemble that gift. Like I didn't figure it all out at once. The Blue's Clue trick didn't work for everything. But what it told me was you can connect with him. You're his mom. He will make a way for you to, to connect, keep pushing. So I sort of had to assemble my ability to communicate with Jack over time. And now I feel like it's a legitimate gift. Like it is something that I I get Jack. We understand each other. A lot of people don't, but I love him wholeheartedly. And I find myself feeling like that's a gift that took some assembly. And now I'm reaping the rewards of this completed set. You know, I just think that's one of the times I saw it so vividly, the beginnings of a gift turn into something that would last me forever.
0: So you mentioned that there might be some unopened Amazon packages on your doorstep. I think so. Yeah, or some unopened gifts. How do we go about even recognizing those and assembling them?
1: I think you want to look at where your struggles are. This is okay. This is the like epiphany that's been coming to me this week, Catherine. I think he actually has promised that we'll have the capability to work through our problems, right? You see that throughout the scriptures over and over again, that they have tools at their disposal. They just don't know that yet. I started to think like, I think all the problems I'm facing and all the obstacles I'm dealing with, there is a spiritual gift to help me with that. And the DNC teaches us that we should seek earnestly the best gifts, right? So I think our job is to assume that gift is there because he's not going to withhold anything. If you're living worthily and you're repenting daily and you're trying, there's no gift he's going to like pull back from you. I think they're all available. So you need to start thinking, okay, what's my problem? And what gift would really bless me? What gift could I have that would really help me solve this problem? And then start praying for it, reading conference talks about it, seeking other people who have that gift and finding out how they assembled it. I think that's where you begin. Well, and the gifts you mentioned in the talk are huge, Catherine. Like I was looking at, they're, they're like the gift to be able to have things healed, the gift to be able to see miracles, the gift to have wisdom and knowledge. Like those are huge gifts that he's basically saying like they're outside your front door. You just need to be able to go do the spiritual work. I think you have to live worthy so that you can, so that the spirit can come in and you can be blessed with that in your life. But I think as long as you're doing your your best and you're trying, you've got those at your fingertips. I don't think they're always supposed to be like, Me acquiring gifts, I think sometimes it means I'm going to make a friendship with someone who has that gift. That in itself is my gift. Do you know what I mean? Like, he will bless me with the gift to be your friend and to find ways to help and benefit you so that your spiritual gifts can spill over into my life. So, I don't think it's that we're supposed to be this ridiculously talented, I can solve all my own problems kind of mom. But I do think we are supposed to be women who recognize gifts in others and say, I think I need that. How did you get it? What can I do? Or how can I come close to you and help you so that your gift can bless me? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. And M. Russell Ballard even gave a talk where he mentioned so many more gifts. And he said, gifts of the spirit are infinite because we are infinite. We're different. And so there's so many different types of the spirit that aren't even mentioned in this talk. What a good thought to think, what gift do they have? And how can I learn? How can I benefit from that? What gift do I have? And how can I assemble that a little bit
1: more? Yeah. And don't you think the more that you, you like offer your gift out to the world, the more that comes rushing back in? I mean, I think that's the weird arithmetic of the gospel, that you never are depleted. <laughs> you put things out and he sends an abundance back towards you. So I think that's his promise. Like If you're struggling to acquire the gifts you need, do good with the gifts you have. And I think he will, he will find a way to abundantly bless you.
0: He even mentions that in his talk in another way, where he says, testify of holy truths. By using that, we also receive, right? It's scary to go out and use those gifts, but the more we do, the more we practice, the more we assemble, the more we can receive and understand
1: and know and bless. Yeah. I thought that was a cool pivot point in his talk where he basically talked about how if Mm -hmm. you want to increase your ability to receive revelation, that's one of these spiritual gifts that all of us want. It's what all of us hope is on the top of the pile of our Amazon packages outside, because we all worry that we don't receive enough revelation or we don't get it the way somebody else does. And so that's when he's like, this is a common one. I know all of you want, let me show you how to access it. And he talked about exercising your you know, abilities to receive revelation, exercising that spiritual gift. And then he gave you some key ideas on how to do it. And I just thought there was such power in that because it's one of those insecurities I've wrestled with all my life. You know, that fear of not being able to hear him. For me, one of the biggest takeaways from this talk was when he focused on inviting the spirit rather than commanding the spirit.
0: Right. That was your second takeaway is the spirit is something we invite, not command.
1: Yeah. I I loved this. Okay. So Catherine, you're a teacher. Have you ever heard somebody give that object lesson of like, they talk about the spirit, like a radio signal, you know, and they say like, if you just tune to the right frequency, so spend your Or life- you're in a dead spot. Yes. Yeah. I hate that object. <laughs> and here's why, because I feel like it's just what it implies then is if I am in the right zone, if I get to that right station, then I'm just going to have this steady broadcasting stream of heavenly you know, like intervention in my life. And that has not been my experience. Like one day I'll be at the right station and I'll get a clear signal. And then t- two days later, I'm doing the exact same thing, praying about something really similar. And I get nothing, <laughs> I get silence or static. So I feel like that object lesson, it doesn't fit for me. What fit for me is this understanding that the spirit can cut through the static. That no matter what channel I'm on, no matter where my focus is, if if I'm living worthy to have the spirit with me, he can cut through. He can get through on any station. I don't need to spend my life tuning and turning that dial. I need to spend my life doing good. And then he'll find a way to cut through. So what if you feel like the spirit's not cutting through? Well, it depends on, I guess, why I think your first thing, at least what Elder Stevenson talked about is you need to check your worthiness. I think that's always your first go-to, right? Like, are there things in your life you need to set down? Are there things in your life you need to pick up. Like, I actually feel like anytime I start to doubt my ability to receive revelation, that's my prayer because even though he doesn't always answer prayers, like what major should I choose or which house is the right one to buy? He always answers prayers. Like, what do I need to sit down? <laughs> he's really quick to tell me where I need some work in my life. And what are some things I need to change? So I think the first line of attack, if you feel like you're, he's not getting through is to say like, are there things I could do to, to make myself more worthy? Not to the point of exhaustion, just to the point of feeling comfortable in my prayer. Right. And then I think once you feel like you're there, you need to start looking at the different ways he speaks. That's kind of what I liked about this idea of setting down that idea of a broadcast signal. Because I think he's not broadcasting 24-7. I don't think the spirit speaks 24 seven. I really think he has a whole bunch of other roles, you know, like he comforts, he teaches, he affirms, he does all these other things. So he can't be constantly talking to you. A lot of times he's causing peace to go in your heart or reducing your fear or, or for me, it's
0: bringing joy. And I never thought that was a fruit of the spirit. Yeah. Isn't that great?
1: Yeah, Even like when you feel yourself being more patient than you would have otherwise been, you know, you're feeling the spirit today because that's one of the fruits, right? So I just feel like there's this confidence of what are the fruits? How can I look for those in my life and then work my way backward and say, like, if I can see the fruits of the spirit, if I can see joy, if I can feel peace, if I can see that I'm trying to be more merciful or even just wanting to be a better version of myself, I know that the source of that has to be revelation. So I know I felt the spirit today.
0: So we might not always know the next step, but when we invite the spirit in, we can act. How has this been true for you in your life? Like how when I act,
1: I feel more? Is that what you mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or just even if, let's just say you even mentioned earlier that sometimes you'll get, you'll feel the spirit about a small thing, but not necessarily a big decision. Yeah. So how can we just
1: trust and act even if we're not constantly being told. Well, this is my wrestle, Catherine, because what frustrates me sometimes, and I have these chats in my prayers, so I'm like, why is it you'll answer Violet's prayer, she's my 10-year-old, about finding her lunchbox, but you won't answer my prayer about Jason's, well, does this, this surgery safe or not? So I find myself like wrestling with that understanding of how can we believe in the God of lost keys and the God who doesn't give you answers when you want them. And so I find myself thinking like there must be There must be a middle ground. And I feel like the way I've come to terms with this is I really think he knows what you're spiritually capable of. He's going to constantly be stretching you because his goal is not just to spoon feed you your future and say, here's what I want you to do next. And now after that, I want you to do this. And then after that, you're going to do this. What he wants to do is empower us to make righteous decisions that are aligned with all of his teachings, because that's the kind of people we're going to be eternally. We have to be people who are strong and independent and capable. And so... I think that's his incentive. He's like, Maria, I need you to stretch. So I'm not going to answer your prayer about Jason immediately. I need you to stretch. So can I give you an example from our situation? Yeah. Okay. So this is a, this was a hard time for me. It's a long story, but the short version is so my husband, Jason, that, you know, has been wrestling with pancreatic cancer for seven years. We were in this spot the second time his cancer came back. It was in the middle of COVID. Um, And it was before like the vaccine was out and all the you know, like people were terrified of COVID at that time. And we found out he had a new tumor in his lung. And the only way we were going to be able to take care of it is if we put him into surgery that was on the lung floor, the respiratory floor, where all the COVID patients were. And I found myself paralyzed because I was like... I can't be the cause of this. If he gets COVID and he dies, like that's how we felt at the time. Like I could never live with myself. How am I going to do this? So I really prayed intensely. I was like, Heavenly Father, Jason's not doing great. This one's on me. I need to find an answer. Do I put him in surgery or not? The tumor is pretty small. The doctors were like, it's fine. Maybe you can wait. And I needed an answer and I could not get an answer. I struggled to get an answer. And the only answer that came to me, Catherine, was I need to do family scripture study. And I was kind of bugged. <laughs> I'm like, how did, how, why are you telling me that? That is not what I needed. It's not the answer I need. I really need this answer. And so kind of begrudgingly, I sat down to do family scripture study that night. We'd let it lapse for several months because we had been in crisis. So I sat down begrudgingly, just me and the kids. We did scripture study. When we finished scripture study, we said the family prayer. Um, as I closed my eyes, the answer came. <laughs> The details are kind of sacred, but I knew, I knew what to do. And I found myself thinking, Heavenly Father didn't want to just give me a blessing or a little bit of information. He wanted to give me a gift. He wanted to give me assurance that would last so that even if Jason did get sick, when he went into surgery, if things happened down the road, I could rest on that assurance, you know, and say like, no, I knew this was the right thing. And so we can go forward. And I just felt like I had to, I had to act first. By acting first and having family scripture study, which seemed so silly and trivial at the time, it opened up this channel of revelation where he's like, okay, Maria, I see that you're ready. You know, everything in the gospel is about offering a sacrifice and receiving an abundance. So in that moment, I had to offer this little tiny sacrifice. And what I got back was abundance. But I don't think I could have got that answer on my knees by my bed. I had to be in motion.
0: And I think it shows that God trusts us. I remember when I was dating my husband, I was ex- praying about whether or not I should marry him. And I think that's a pretty <laughs> valid question to get right. a big answer to. And I wasn't. And I remember one time I was at, I was an EFY counselor, so I was my husband and we were having this counselor devotional and it was Brad Wilcox was teaching the counselor devotional. And Brad at the end of the night said, Catherine, why aren't you marrying Steve? <laughs> <laughs> And I said, because God's not answering my prayers. And then Brad said something that has stayed with me and taught me about how prayers are answered. He said, Catherine, answers to prayers are like stoplights. When you come to a red, what do you do? And I said, you stop. And he said, when you come to a green, what do you do? Go. And he said, what do you do when you come to a yellow light? And I paused and he said, no, really, what do you do? And I said, I hit the gas and I go. And then he said, Brad said, 90% of our answers to prayers are yellow lights. Yeah. You step on the gas and you go and that you trust God will stop you if it's not right. And I will tell you, that's what I did with getting married. That's what I have done with so many huge decisions. When I'm waiting and waiting and waiting, there's this principle of effort and acting. And I trust that God will stop me if it's not right. And
1: he has. Let's see. I love that. There was a BYU devotional I heard uh, maybe a decade ago. I can't remember even who said it. But there was this part that I laughed right out loud when I heard it. He was talking about Revelation. And he talked about his daughter. It's going to be patchy. But they were talking about this principle of like, sometimes you just assume green lights, right? That same kind of idea. And he said, you know that part in Home Alone where like he's realizing his parents aren't around. And so he's eating all that junk food on the couch, like the original Home Alone. And he's eating all this junk and he's watching terrible stuff on TV. And he says, he said, sometimes Revelation is like that, where you're basically saying to God, like, I, I think the kid in the movie is like, I'm I'm eating on the couch and I'm eating garbage and watching terrible movies, like come and get me. And he's like, sometimes you do that with Revelation. You say things like, I'm going to major in psychology. And if there's something you want to tell me, you better let me know. <laughs> like it's that same tone and that same understanding of like, He will stop you if, if he's concerned. And if there really is a right answer, you'll know. And and otherwise just move forward, you know, move forward in faith.
0: Well, I think that leads us into your final takeaway, which is when in doubt, do good. Yeah. Which I think is so simple, but so true. When
1: in doubt, just do good or go through that yellow light. Yeah. I think we just have to stop worrying so much about finding the exact right thing. Because what I've learned in my lifetime is there's not an exact right thing most of the time. I think there's a lot of goods, you know, and we have to be able to prioritize and good, better, best kind of thing. And sometimes revelation can help me figure that out. But I feel like most of the time he just wants you to do good in this world because what I think he loves to do, and this is just my theory, I think he loves to create with you. Like when I make a choice to buy this house or to take this, you know, accept this major or whatever it is, if I move forward, he's like, oh, great. Now we get to create a whole new. Game plan for you, almost like a GPS that's rerouting you, you know, and he's like, here's a whole Uh new way and I can take you now by this mountain because you picked over here. So now we can navigate around this mountain and it's going to be a beautiful view. You know, and if I had chosen something over here on the left, he's like, oh, I can make a life for you over here and look, there's going to be an ocean next to us and you're going to love this drive. Like, I just think he is a creator by nature. And so It's not so much that my job here in this life is to figure out the exact turns that he planned before I ever got here. I think my job is to become the kind of woman he wanted me to become before I got here. And that I can do on this road over by the mountain or on this road over by the ocean. He will find a way to make all my paths lead to good. Yeah. Make all things work together for your good. Yeah. He loves to do it. I think it's something that he delights in. So we shouldn't worry so much about finding the perfect right. I do think there are certain things that there is a right answer. And, and I think those, are, those come pretty clearly sometimes. And sometimes you have to wrestle for them. But most things I think are do good in this world and then come along for the ride with me and let me show you what I have in store for you. I just think that's his nature.
0: Maria, it reminds me of that quote from Elder Holland where he said, surely the thing God enjoys most about being God is the thrill of being merciful especially to those who don't expect it and often feel they don't deserve it. I, I
1: completely agree. I just think it's, it's who he is. And isn't that a beautiful blessing that we worship a God who delights to make our lives full and rich and, and he, he's agile and he rolls with us. And you know, I just, I think that's a, a wonderful part of this gospel. I think you see it all throughout the old Testament where sometimes they pick the rockier roads and he's like, Okay, I'm with you in the wilderness, but this was not what I wanted for you. (laughs) You know, like, but he stays with them and he still blesses them and he talks to the prophet and he doesn't say, like, you didn't pick the road I told you to go on, and therefore I'm out. He never is out. He says, Boy, I sure wish you would have picked this one because now it's gonna be a rockier path. But I'm right here with you and I can navigate you right back to where I needed you. Just stay with me. You know, like he will be with us always. So we don't need to panic. And I think we can set down our anxieties about being perfect because there isn't a perfect path. I really like that in Psalms, when you read that verse about, you know, trust in the Lord with all thy heart and he will direct thy paths. I like that paths is plural. I think there's lots of paths and he's like, I can help you on any of these. Let's go. I just think it's powerful.
0: So what have you learned about the Lord when following the promptings of the spirit?
1: I I have learned that I think he's in this for my growth. I think oftentimes I struggle because I feel conflicted. I I want to feel like he's close, but I almost feel like he's always moving the goalposts. You know, like as soon as I feel like I've got a good relationship, he's like, "We haven't tested this ground yet." And he literally moves the goalposts back and I'm like, It's like how
0: we taught our children to walk. We're right there. And then you're like, oh, wait, I'm going to back
1: up a little bit. Keep coming. I just think, you know, because his goal is not to get me to a certain destination. I think his goal is that I will become something, that I'll be capable of handling the things that are in front of me. So I just feel like that's what the more I understand about Revelation. And I've learned a lot. I've learned most of it the hard way. But I think it's... His whole goal is like, I want a relationship with you, Maria. I want you to come close to me, mostly so that you'll trust me and you'll go with me wherever I go. Wherever I lead you, however many steps farther it is, you'll keep coming with me because we're close. And that's what I think Revelation is all about. It's about having a relationship with God that is close so that you can trust Him. No matter what storms come your way and no matter what fears are around you in the world, you can say, No, He's got me. He'll reroute, He'll make a plan. For me, that's really helpful because sometimes I usually call these like intersections of agency when I talk to my kids, Uh because sometimes I feel like I get rammed by other people's agency, right? People make a choice that is not what I would pick for them or, you know, like people in my family or friends, and it rams into me. And sometimes you get freaked out because you think, wait, I was on the right course. And I just got hit with this, you know, semi-truck of someone else's agency. And what I think his rerouting plan is so constant and so steady that you just don't need to be afraid. You can trust that he'll he'll guide you. I think I learned that from Elder Stevenson's talk. I, I think that's the gift he's given us. This beautiful unwrapped gift that's waiting for us to assemble is the peace that comes with knowing you're close to him and he's got you.
0: Maria, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. How do you know that?
1: How do I know that he's got me? Yeah. Because here I am, Catherine. Like, there's no way I could have made it through the last seven years or, or, you know, I'm 45. There's no way we could have made it through so many of the ups and downs I've experienced. I think I would have been alive. I don't mean to say like I, I would have died without it. I think I would have been bitter and unhappy uh, without it. And I'm not like, I feel peace most of the time. Not all the time, but I feel peace. Most of the time, I feel joyful and can project joy out into the world when my life is messy and I don't know what the future holds for me, for my husband, for our family. Like, I don't know. And I don't think I could have that without that knowledge. I think it's that certainty that allows me to be authentically joyful despite all these hard storms.
0: How do you know it? It reminds me of Philippians 4 verse 7 when Peter is talking about Hardships and trial, and then he says that Jesus Christ is the peace that surpasseth all understanding, yeah, and I've thought a lot about that phrase, and to me that means it's peace that doesn't make sense, <laughs> yeah, right? Like there's no reason I should have felt peace this week, but I did, yeah, there's no reason my daughter should feel peace in a bunker in Israel, but she does. Right. There's no reason, Maria, you should feel peace with the storm swirling around you and your
1: husband's diagnosis, but you do. It's a that doesn't make sense. Well, and I think it's a piece that you trust will, you know, like, I don't think these are always going to be mysteries. I think someday I'll be able to look back and be like, oh, I get it. I get it now. And so I think you have to have the pieces trusting that all those pieces will, add someday, will someday come together. Because I think peace that passeth understanding is not so much like, well, you know, Jesus take the wheel kind of mentality. I think it's like, I trust that you're going to steer for a while. And at some point you're going to say to me, let me show you why. Because I think otherwise I would just think he's, he's unkind. (laughs) You know, I don't think he wants to put you on these rocky roads for his own benefit ever. I think he wants to, he wants you to be able to look back at your life and say, oh, I see where that attribute came. I see you were trying to help me build this. I get it now. So that's a part that passes understanding for me. It's almost like I can look ahead and say like, at some point this will all line up and I'll be like, oh, there it is. I get it.
0: Hey, look, he helped me assemble that gift.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a great way to say it.
0: So Maria, as you know, we love to end each show with a small and simple challenge, something that we can do to work on through the week. So what would you suggest as a small and simple challenge that we could do today to feel and trust the promptings of the spirit.
1: I think one of Elder Stevenson's goals with this talk was to help us recognize spiritual gifts, both in ourselves and in others, just a little bit better. So I feel like what if we take this week to try to look at things with fresh eyes? What if we look at ourselves and the people that we love and try to watch for spiritual gifts? And then if we can articulate them, like say it out loud, what you see in others. I just think it would be so fun to see even if there's a spiritual gift that's still in the assembly phase, to call it out and help your family and your friends see that you see so much good in them. Mm -hmm. I really think as we take time to recognize these beautiful gifts in others, we'll see a lot more of what God has done for us in the process.
0: That is one, when you talked about identifying gifts in other people, that for me is when people share what they do, it inspires me. So we want to hear what, you do with this challenge tell everybody where to go so that we
1: can see it unfold you know if you want to keep this conversation going you should head over to the magnify instagram channel that's where we'll be chatting about spiritual gifts our wrestles with revelation and all the nuggets from elder stevenson's talk so come over and join me
0: thanks so much for being here maria